If not, um, I'll be taking a number of readings today uh, from the book of Proverbs and um, also from the book of Ecclesiastes. And so I'll invite you to turn over there with me. And um, my daughter came in last night, as she so often does, and uh, she said, what are you preaching about tomorrow, Daddy? And I told her, I said, well, I'm going to be preaching on some Proverbs to live by. And um, I said, so I've got a lot of different places that I'll be reading from. And she says, oh, she says, well, I'm not very good at flipping from place to place in my Bible. And um, I told her that's okay and uh, that I would try to go slow to help her. And uh, I'll try to go slow to help you all, too. Uh, But hopefully remaining in one book uh, or maybe just two books that are adjacent to each other uh, will help as well. Uh, But go ahead and turn over to the book of Proverbs with me. There is right now, uh, whether you're aware of it or not, uh, there's a war that is taking place. There is a battle that is happening, and it is a battle for your mind. There is a constant battle that our adversary is waging, and his desire is to sift us, just like his desire was to sift Peter, is to sift us like wheat. It's to crush us. And one way, one sure way that our adversary knows that he can crush us is by way of our minds. If he can take our minds and he can pull us away from the things of God, if he can influence our thoughts, if he can come in and influence the seat of our consciousness, that is how we see the adversary then begin to impact our actions. And as he begins to impact our actions, he begins to impact our lives. And before long, what started as just a little thought has made shipwreck of our lives. That's, that's the nature of how the adversary wages war against us individually. It's a battle for our hearts. That's what we see the scriptures uh, teach us. But when we see the, the word and, and the teachers teaching us, the scriptures teaching us about our hearts, it's meaning the, the seed of consciousness. Consciousness. It's meaning that that seed, that root of where we develop these, this, these thoughts, these ideas that we follow after in what we do. There are things that we know to do, and those ideas that weigh on our conscience are is what helps us to keep in balance what it is we're doing. I know to tell the truth because my conscience is constantly teaching me and directing me to speak things that are truthful. And when I go outside of the truth, it is my conscience that awakens in me that I have done wrong. Scripture teaches about our conscience, and it talks about how our conscience can become seared with a hot iron. That it becomes so burnt that it no longer has the capacity and the ability to to feel and to, to know what is right and to know what is wrong. And our adversary is constantly on the battle and on the march against us for our minds. We are taught to keep our hearts, here in the book of Proverbs, to keep our hearts with all diligence, for out of it flow all the issues of life. We are instructed to to be mindful of of our, our minds, to protect and guard our thoughts. And that when we would have things that encroach upon us, that we would run from them. Listen, when you know that you are in a battle where where Satan is putting and allowing your mind to wander, you need to flee from that. You need to be on guard for that. And be mindful of when those feelings arise to go to the place where you can be rescued. To go to the place where you can find safety. 
Times when you are feeling lonely. Times when you are feeling afraid. Times when you are feeling feelings of anger and of frustration. Feelings of, of dread. All these thoughts that begin to, and emotions that begin to breed thoughts that lead to sin. That lead to Satan taking us further than it is that we want to go. And so as I've, I've considered these things, there's been any number of subjects I've been studying over the last several weeks, and they've had me digging here in the book of Proverbs, and what I began to, to, to realize, or begin to be really brought out to me, was the reality of how the Proverbs instruct us and teach us and how we can guard our minds. Young people today, listen to me. There is an adversary that is out to take your mind and to place it in all sorts of worldliness that you can't find your way back. And so today I'm going to be speaking to you from this book of wisdom. I'm going to be speaking to you today of a, of a book of, of practical things of how you can take and apply in your life and know, listen to me, you can know the purposes and the directions that God has for your life. Do you believe that you can know those things? That you can know the purpose and direction that God has for your life? I believe wholeheartedly that you can know those things. And not only do I believe that you can know those things, I believe that most of those things are already known and that God has given them to us in His Scriptures. And we're going to see that, if the Lord would help today, as we look at ten things, ten proverbs. Um, let me rephrase that. Um, I actually have twenty proverbs uh, to look at. But, but ten subjects to live by from the book of Proverbs. We're going to start in Proverbs 1. And I'm just going to bounce around here, follow me around um, if you can. If not, that's just fine. Just uh, keep your attention with me and, and we'll try to go through each of these. We're going to start by looking at wisdom. This is the principal subject that the proverb writer deals with throughout all of these proverbs. And we're going to see it right away here in what I would classify as the thesis statement for the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Throughout the book of Proverbs, the proverb writer is comparing and contrasting the wise from the foolish. Wisdom from folly. And continually what we'll see is how the, the one who is foolish will find their hearts, will find their thoughts that lead them into destruction, but the wisdom will find peace and will find joy and find knowledge of the Lord. We see that right away here in this thesis statement that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Scripture is setting that the foundation for knowledge of all things is the fear and reverence of the Lord. All right understanding, whether of worldly things or of spiritual things, begins with reverence for the Lord. Do you hear that? Whatever knowledge you're interested in gaining, whatever intrigues you in life that you want to go out and study, it must begin with a proper perspective of the Lord and who He is that we might revere Him. 
That we might properly respect Him. That we might properly fear Him with a godly fear, with a godly awe for who He is. For when we begin to understand who He is, we set the right foundation to understand what He has created. We begin to have the right foundation to understand what He has designed and His purpose for our lives and His purpose for what we are doing here and the purpose for our praise, even the purpose for our church begins with a proper reverence of the Lord. No wonder as worldliness has taken so hold of of, of studies and of, of academia and all these things that we see now today just being misconstrued and, and being made a mess of and a mockery of what God has designed. It has begun that the breakdown and understanding of such simple things has begun by throwing out this principal thing that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 8. It says what? It says, some of you can quote this. It says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not upon what? Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. In all thy ways give reverence to Him. And He shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. When it comes to wisdom, we are instructed not to lean upon our own wisdom, our own ideas, our own thoughts, our own perceptions, but to direct our hearts unto the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thy own understanding. Proverb writer goes on later and he tells us to invest in wisdom. To invest in wisdom. He says, buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. There is power in wisdom. Now, if we were to look around today and I was to ask the question, who among us is wise I think there probably wouldn't be a hand that would go up because the wise person is wise enough to know that they are not as wise as they think that they are. And if there was to be a hand that would go up, you would probably be telling on yourself that you're not wise. You see, with wisdom comes a host of other things. With wisdom comes a host of other dealings in practical matters that the proverb writer upon this foundation of wisdom Builds on. The next subject that I want to point out to you, and these are in no particular order, um, but, but the proverb writer talks about the dealings of, of finances. In fact, I heard a proverb or a speaker one time say that if you study all that the proverbs have to say about finances, you'll walk away with a master's degree in finance. As somebody who has a degree from a university in the field of finance, I can tell you that's true. The university taught me all the financial calculations, but the book of Proverbs has taught me God's way of dealing with money. And it's far better than any nonsense they taught me at Kelly School of Business. I appreciate everything they taught me. (laughs) But in terms of how to relate with it in God's way, the book of Proverbs 
tells us. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, he says, My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, he's talking about if you've gone into debt, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. He says, so do this. Well, that's interesting. Listen, any time you read in Scripture where you see an if-then-do-this kind of statement, we should all turn our ears to it. Turn our eyes to it. Did you hear what it said? He said, if you've gone into debt, do these things. What do you do? Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself. When thou art come into the hand of thy friend, go humble thyself and make sure thy friend. It says, give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Talking about the ant, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? Wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Get a little sleep, a little slumber, a little, little folding of the hands. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. The Proverbs writer is teaching us about handling finances. You know what he says about it? He says, when you found yourself in these ways, you know the best place to go when you find yourself in financial struggles. You know what it is? Let's go to work. He says, consider the ant. He says, consider this, this little ant that we forget about. This little ant that we walk over. We step on thousands of ants every day without thinking about it. Yet this ant, having no God, having no leader, it is about its business. Going about and making food and providing for itself in the winter, in the summer that it will have food in the winter. And it sees that it has taken care of itself as a result of that. And so seeing these things, he's telling us to, to consider this. Consider the bird and the hand of the fowler that's trying to escape. Or the roe from the hand of the hunter that's trying to get away. He's telling us how to handle and to steward our possessions. There's a whole lot more that he says about that. Let me, let me insert this statement right here. <coughs> I want you to have a, a clear thought behind this message today. You see, there are some sermons that as your pastor that I am trying to feed you. That's probably what most sermons are. Then there are some sermons like this one where, where the aim of my message is to point you to the pasture. It says, Here, here's the good stuff. Here's the good grass for you to come and graze on. The book of Proverbs is, is, is good pasture. <clears throat> it's a good field for you to come and graze in. And I'm trying to point you to some good grass in this field. I made the comment in Sunday school. A young lady here at the church a couple weeks ago asked me about uh, where to start in a Bible study. Where's the best place to start reading the Bible together with a friend? And, and I directed her, as I've been directed in the past, to, to start with Jesus. Listen, the, the principal subject of the Scriptures is Jesus. I would go so far to say that the principal subject of even the book of Proverbs is Jesus. In fact, I was going to share this at the end, but I'll go ahead and share this now. I've already talked about the thesis statement here in the book of Proverbs being around wisdom. Well, listen to what we see in the book of 1 Corinthians about what the Scriptures teach us about wisdom. 
It says that wisdom, when we see wisdom in the scriptures, that Jesus Christ himself is described as the one who is wise, that he is the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24 says, But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so when we see that Jesus is the central subject here, if you were to want to know what's what's the place that I should go when I'm trying to understand how I go through decisions in life and I try to understand how how to determine which way I should go in this dealing or that one, the book of Proverbs is a wonderful place for you to come and dwell and spend time in this pasture of wisdom. You're in financial difficulty. Come spend time in the book of Proverbs. You have challenges in your relationships. Come spend time in the book of Proverbs. You have challenges in trying to figure out parenthood. Come spend time in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is the pasture that I am trying to point you to today. It talks about discipline. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 1. It says, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. Proverbs 13, 18. Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuses instruction, but he that regardeth reproof shall be honored. Just a couple of verses later in verse 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. Listen to this. But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. I'm going to talk in a little bit about what the scriptures teach here in the book of Proverbs about friendships. Young people, listen to what I just read. He who walks with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Young people, be careful of who you select as your friends. If you walk with foolish friends, you're going to be a fool. If you walk with wise friends, you too will be wise. 15.32 He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul, but he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. And these are this is just a taste of what all the proverb writer instructs us with within this issue of discipline. It is good for us to be brought underneath good instruction and good discipline. It is right for us to hear instruction and to take from it and to gain from it that it might be something that helps us and it will be a health to us. Did you hear what he read? He says, one that refuses instruction despises his own soul. But he that hears reproof gains understanding. No one enjoys being reproved. No one likes being told that the things that we're saying and the things that we've done, we we stepped out of line. No discipline is comfortable, feels right in the moment. But what it produces is of a great gain to us. My friend, no matter how old you are, if you are a child and, and you're like my son, Man, when I get under my son, he freezes. He, he, he just doesn't like being, being brought underneath discipline. And he just doesn't know how to respond to it. And so he'll just freeze. So you might be a child and you get disciplined by your parents. <clears throat> or you might be an older person here today. And there might not be a whole lot of discipline that you have from a single authority in your life. There is from time to time, husbands, where your wife comes to you and she's reproving you about something, or wives, your husbands come to you and they're reproving you about something. 
And in that moment, listen, no one likes it. Next Sunday, Tiffany and I will be celebrating 11 years of marriage. There's been times where she's come to me and she's had to reprove me for something, and I don't like it. There's been times where I've had to go to her and say, Honey, what you're doing, this just isn't right. And she doesn't like it either. And normally there's a little bickering that happens, right? In the middle of that, you know why that happens? Because that's not enjoyable in that moment. But those that receive instruction and respond to it well, it is a great gain to them. But those that despise it, those that reject it, it works to their shame. Why is that? What, another subject that we see the Proverbs dealing with. Humility. Proverbs 16, 18-19 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Listen to this. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. When we see this, this thesis of wisdom that the proverb writer has outlined, we see with it then that he tells us plainly that with that wisdom comes this valuable identity in humility. But there's value to the humble. What do the scriptures tell us? That God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The proverb writer tells us that if we want wisdom, We will have to come humbly before the Lord. There is honor in humility. That goes completely opposed to what the world teaches us. That instead there's honor in the the proud. And there's honor in the things that people be lifted up and they're praised for. The scriptures are telling us here that there is honor in humility. Now, we live in a world in which everyone's trying to climb some ladder. And as a result of that, if you set your eyes upon humility, there's going to be times where you feel overlooked. There's going to be times where you feel like no one's paying attention to you and that all the world is passing you by. And in those moments, it's very challenging for us to sort through the emotions that come with that natural response. But I want you to know the Lord is the one who exalts the humble. The world might exalt those that would be uplifted in pride, but it is God Himself that exalts the humble. Tell me, which would you rather be? Exalted by the world or exalted by God? God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Isn't that incredible? Let us desire humility. May God help us to be humble. One of the most fearful prayers that I've ever prayed is for God to humiliate me. When we think of being humiliated, we think of being embarrassed, don't we? With embarrassment comes us being made humble. I would rather be humiliated by the Lord where He has made me rightly know who I am, that I am humbled by His majesty, that I am humbled by a right perspective and reverence for He is, than to be embarrassed by the world's standards. But it is a fair, fearful thing to pray for God to bring us low, for God to humiliate us. That's what humiliate means. It is to be made to be made humble. But may God help us to each have humbled spirits. Let me just say this. I don't want to dwell too long here. 
When scriptures say that God resists the proud, I want you to know that there is very little for which God uses pride men to fulfill. Proud men to fulfill. If you want to be used of the Lord and you are struggling with pride, I want you to know He's going to resist you. If you want to be used of the Lord, you must first come humble before Him. Another subject, listen to this one. Everybody just get a little uncomfortable. Everybody wiggle their seats a little bit. The proverb writer deals with this issue of marriage, but specifically, he looks at it from this angle of fidelity. Proverbs 5, verse 15 says, Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Later, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 24 through 29 says, To keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. Men, take note that the proverb writer directs this principally. There's a lesson here for women too, but he directs this chiefly at us. The proverb writer, Solomon. Solomon had an issue in dealing with this sin. And as a consequence of that, he is doing well in his instruction concerning how we deal with women. How we deal with this temptation to lust. How we deal with this temptation to adultery in particular, to, to fidelity or infidelity as it would be. He says, do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread, and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Listen to this. Can a man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes in to his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go on punishment. A couple of verses later in verse 32, he says, The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself is the one that does it. That's some strong warning regarding fidelity, isn't it? In a marriage? Man, I hope none of you are struggling with this. But if we're honest, all of us are as prone as anybody else to this temptation. And so we do well to hear the instruction of the proverb writer that we would find ourselves to flee from temptation to lust. He says, can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be burnt? He says, can a person have fire in his bosom and his clothes not be left scorched? What he's saying is, you might think that you can mess around on the edges of this, men, but you can't. You're going to end up burnt up. Then listen to what he said in verse 32. He said, but, so the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He would destroy himself that does it. What he's doing is saying the person that commits adultery lacks sense. And the reason why they lack sense is that in doing so, in committing that sin, they are actually destroying themselves. Would you do something to destroy your own self? Of course not. None of us goes out and, and, and seeks to cut off our finger or to cut off our arm or anything like that. We'd be called senseless if we did those things, wouldn't we? So that's the, the idea that the proverb writer is putting forth. But look to what he compares it to. Proverbs 18, verse 22. He says, Whosoever finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor of the Lord. 
Praise God that I have found my good thing. Praise God that there is favor that the Lord has shown to me and that He has provided for me a wife. Isn't that wonderful? You see the full contradiction here that the proverb writer is supposing, looking at the infidelity and how despicable it is, as one would lack sense, but looking to the good that is found in a wife. Men, listen to me. If you have found a wife, you have found a good thing. You have found the favor of the Lord in your spouse. And let me give you this instruction, my brothers. Don't mess it up. (laughs) You might say, well, Derek, I was expecting something much more wise and much more profound. (laughs) I don't know anything wiser, anything more profound than that. Don't mess it up. Guard your hearts. Protect your minds. Every act of adultery that has ever been committed started from an idea of lust. Do you see why it is so important for us to call our attention to this pasture as we protect our minds in this battlefield on which our adversary is competing and waging war against our minds? We're told to drink water from our own cistern. Fresh water from our own well. I, I, I won't get into the scriptures here just for the, the sake of, of keeping everybody, I guess, comfortable. But I want you to know the proverb writer, he's not afraid to broach the topic of, of, of intimacy in marriage. And he broaches it plainly and clearly. And that's what the words here that I'm reading to you mean. In, in fact, in another place in the book of Proverbs, he says that stolen waters are sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Meaning that there is something that seems good about this, about the adultery that men would lust towards, that even women would lust towards. That's what he meant when he said these lines, that stolen waters are sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But we are given the instruction instead to drink water from our own cistern and fresh water from our own well. Not expect to get here today, but here we are. This is a New Testament teaching as well. The, Paul instructed the Corinthians concerning intimacy in a marriage, telling them not to withhold from intimacy, but for a season that would be concentrated towards fasting and prayer, but that when you come back, that you would return to that intimacy. Husbands and wives, You need to know well that God has a purpose for intimacy in marriage. And if that subject to you is confounding, if that subject to you from a biblical and spiritual perspective is is too much for you to try to grasp, ask the Lord to help you. I can give you some scriptures to go and study on your own. I'd be happy to talk with you about that with your spouse present. But listen to me, one reason why we see marriages attacked so greatly within the church by our adversary is because we're uncomfortable talking about this issue. And we just need to change that, okay? Spend some time studying it. And there's a reason why we see that being a subject that the proverb writer deals with. But, but let, let's move on. I need, I need to hurry. We see that the proverb writer spends a great deal of time talking about our language, Talking about the words that are leaving our mouth, the things that our, that our tongues are speaking. Proverbs 10, 19 through 21 says, In the multitude of words, there is no lack for sin, 
but he that refraineth his lips is wise. The tongue of the just is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for want of wisdom. You guys have probably heard that great line. It's been attributed to different people, Mark Twain and Abe Lincoln and different ones, that it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. That's a biblical principle. Didn't you hear what he said? He said, in the multitude of words, there is no lack for sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. How many times have you found yourself in a conversation, either you're the one guilty of it or the other person that you're talking to, where you get to that awkward point in the conversation where it kind of breaks down, and you're kind of just both standing there with your hands in your pockets, and there's kind of that nervousness because you're like, one of us needs to say something. And so before long, you're just saying random stuff and talking and saying things that, 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 are, that are lies, that aren't true, that's not good conversation for a Christian to be in. And you're just doing it because of the awkwardness and you're trying to fill time. And so what happens is you start saying a bunch of words and what the proverb writer says, in much speaking, there is no lack of sin. We find ourselves sometimes, we, we just get over our, over our skis a little bit. And speaking and talking before long, we're, we're weaving together lies or we're gossiping or we're tailbearing, as the proverb writer calls it in another place. So the proverb writer says instead that the one who refraineth his lips, the one who says little is wise. You know the best example of this that you'll find? It's in older men. You ever noticed how when men get older and older, they talk less and less. Now, some would say, Sister Hazel might say, that's because Brother Leland can't hear as well anymore. But I would suppose that it's also because there's wisdom in hearing and observing and saying little. And then, when that old man or that old woman who says very little speaks, how much more weight and gravity does it carry? I'll give the example here in, in, in the church. When Sister Norma gets up and testifies or, or has something to say, man, sh- she has my full attention. Why? Because she so rarely talks that I know if she's got something to say, it's something that I need to hear. There's wisdom in, in, in refraining from too much speaking. Proverbs 15 and 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. This is a verse that we've made our children to memorize. That when they get upset with one another and their tendency is to want to start bickering and fighting, is that a soft answer? Turns away wrath. You ever met somebody that seems like they just love drama? That all they want to do is stir things up. They just want to stir up trouble. And so all of a sudden, they're, they're, they're just poking at one another. They're saying things to, to get a rise out of somebody. You see this with grandparents and grandchildren a lot. They know, I see some finger pointing. No finger pointing. <laughs> but, but it's true, right? We, we see this happening. The proverb writer tells us that it is a soft answer that turns away wrath, that brings peace just conversations, even where it seems as if there is no peace to be had. Proverbs 17 and 28 says, Even a fool, when he holds his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. We should desire 
that as ambassadors of Christ, as the New Testament describes us, that when we speak, it is obvious on whose behalf that we are speaking. You know, you see delegates for the government, and they have to be very careful about what they say. And the reason why is that whenever they speak, they are speaking on behalf of the entire government. We speak on behalf of Jesus Christ. Every word you say, you are speaking as a delegate of heaven. Consider then the things that you say. Consider the adjectives that you use. Consider the things that are they sweet, are they edifying, are they helpful to people? Or instead, are they words of a busybody? Is going about gossiping and telling lies. Do you know there's another place in Scripture here in the book of Proverbs where the, the proverb writer writes about how one who is, is busy telling tales will find poverty? Because they're so busy all the time just, just meddling with everybody else's affairs that they're not paying attention to their own. There is peace that is found in refraining your lips. Let us be good ambassadors of Christ. I read today one of my favorite verses in all the Scriptures and it's a uh, a teaching that my mom always gave me. I would go visit my grandma Delpha. And maybe maybe the, the only virtue that I, that I had uh, growing up was that I could get my grandma Delpha chuckling. And man, she'd be down. She'd be, you know, her, her mind not right. She, she can't re- couldn't hardly remember anything. By the time she got old and stricken in years and was battling cancer, she'd be laying on the couch most of the day. But I'd come over and she'd find the strength to set up. And I'd start talking to her and getting her laughing. My mom would always say, that's the best medicine. That laughter is the best medicine. Do you know that's a biblical precept? That the cheerful heart is good medicine? This is a proverb that I read this morning in Sunday school. Let God's people be cheerful. Let us desire that when we see people who are down and they are depressed and they are struggling, that we can be good medicine for them. <coughs> of course, the Proverbs deal with just living about how we live rightly and how we live justly. Proverbs 11 and 3 says, The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. In another place in Proverbs, I believe, I'm not mistaken, it's right before that in Proverbs chapter 11, where it talks about scales. That a just man has scales that are balanced, but the imbalanced scale is found in the, in the unrighteous man. We should be people that desire justice. Why? Because we know that what we have found is mercy. And what we have found is that our justice has been carried out in Jesus Christ. And so for that reason, we should desire after justice amongst men. It should never, listen to this, listen to me, it should never be said of the Christian man and woman that we have been found to cheat on our taxes. Do you know that? Render under Caesar what is Caesar's, Jesus said. We should love a balanced scale. We should not be a people that cheats others, that tries to get an advantage on somebody. Listen, if I lose an extra dollar in a deal, but I have kept my integrity, I am better off for it. The proverb writer says that the integrity of the upright will guide them. If, listen, young people, if you need help in good decision making, make every decision that will uphold your integrity and any decision that will not uphold your integrity, don't make it. Avoid that one. When you come to a fork in the road, take the direction that allows you to maintain your integrity. 
to maintain your character, to maintain your honesty, to maintain your justness, to maintain your righteousness in the Lord. Don't go the way of destruction, the way of crookedness, of the treacherous that will destroy them. Proverbs 4, 13-15 says, Take fast hold of instruction. Let not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it, and go another way. Isn't that an incredible instruction? If you're walking down a dark street late at night, and you look down an alleyway, And you can tell down that alleyway that there are things going on. There are people down there that are dangerous to you, that will be harmful to you. Would you turn down that alleyway? And the answer is no. You would not willfully turn down a path in which you would know you would be harmed. The proverb writer here is saying that when you see this path of the wicked, don't go that way. When you see the way that all the world is going, turn a different direction. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way. Which way, which path are you on, O oh Christian? When we look to walk in the light, we look to walk in the path wherein we are on, the advantage that we have. Listen to this. There's another place in the book of Proverbs where it talks about how the one who walks in darkness, that they don't even know what they stumble on. You see, we who walk in light and light, the one who, who lights us, who illuminates us, is Jesus Christ. And we are walking in His light. You're going to find that you're still going to stumble. There's still going to be times where you take a, a, a wrong step and you're going to fall, you're going to lose your balance. But the advantage that we have when we walk in light is we can look back and we can know why we stumbled. And we can get back up and we can brush ourselves off and we can keep going. But the one who walks in darkness doesn't even know why they fell down in the first place. You see that comparison? So let us walk uprightly. Let us walk in the light. Let us follow in the footsteps of Jesus. All right, women. You knew it was coming. There is some wonderful instruction in the book of Proverbs about women. I spent some time about that. On Mother's Day, we went through and looked a little bit at Proverbs 31. And and I encourage you to read that. It is wonderful instruction about what a godly woman looks like. But there's some other instruction that the proverb writer gives. I promise not to get to the fun ones. There's some fun ones. One place in the book of Proverbs, it says that it's better to live on the corner of a roof than with a quarrelsome woman. I promise not to get to that one. There's a couple others that I will point out. Proverbs 11 and 22. This is a ring of gold and a swine snout. So is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. What's that mean? He's saying that like a gold ring in the nose of a pig. What, what, about a, what would you say if you saw a gold ring in, a, in the nose of a pig? Or, or a diamond ring? in the nose of the pig, you would look at it and you'd say, why is that valuable, beautiful thing on something that is so ugly? The comparison here, no woman, you're not the pig in this analogy. You're the gold ring. You're that thing that is of great value. And a woman who lacks discretion, the lack of discretion is the pig. It doesn't belong. You might be beautiful. You might be the fairest of, of all women who've ever lived. But if you lack discretion, you are no better than that gold ring in a pig's nose. 
A woman who lacks discretion is as a ring of gold in a swine's snout. What's this discretion that we're talking about? It's good taste. It's modesty. It's a desire to to, to appeal your apparel. It's designed to adorn yourself. There's a word I was looking for. It's a desire to adorn yourself in that which is focused not on your beauty, but it's focused on your womanhood, on who you are, that you might present yourself as one who is concerned not with beauty in favor of men, but with your favor before the Lord. You see that? Young ladies, listen to me. I know that you live in a day and age where you're just bombarded on every side about how to dress and what to look like and what clothes to wear. And and man, it's just a mess out there. I, I get it. Listen, you find favor with the Lord and more so you will find the husband that God desires for you when you dress yourself modestly and you purpose yourself and you purpose your heart for the glory of God. Have discretion. Have good taste. Be modest in your dress. I'll say this. You guys have heard me say this time and time again. And something that uh, Paul Washer, actually, I think he says his wife is the one who says it. That if your clothing is anything but a frame for your face, it is sensual and it is wrong. Our faces should point, or our clothing should point people's attention here. That they can see our faces. So they can see us smile because there's joy in our hearts. And they can hear us speak the words of life. That's what it means to be a person, woman or man, of discretion. Proverbs 12 and 4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness <coughs> excuse me, in his bones. Let me read that again with a clearer throat. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. An excellent wife. What's an excellent wife look like? Well, that's Proverbs chapter 31. We don't have time today to get into that. But an excellent wife is one who, who has a love and a respect for her husband and is, is a joint partner with him and they share together and they encourage each other and they help one another. But the woman who shames her husband is the one who is belittling him. The one who is taking his role as a husband, taking his role as a man, and is walking all over it. Have you ever seen a man whose wife walks all over him? You can normally tell because they normally carry themselves a little bit differently than everybody else. You see, a man who's in a good marriage, they tend to have their shoulders back a little bit, and they seem to walk a little more upright. The man whose wife walks all over him, they're a little more hunchback like this, aren't they? Because they're just so beaten down at home, they can't stand up straight when they go out. Wives, be good wives. Be excellent wives. Help your husbands to stand up a little straighter. Help your husbands to to have an ability that when they're out in public, they can carry themselves. Where when they talk about you, you're not the old ball and chain. You're not the old woman at home, my old lady. And you're not even the wife. It drives me crazy when I hear men say, I gotta ask the wife. Ask the wife? Who are you asking? I like to call my wife, my wife. She ain't any old wife. She's mine. She ain't yours. She ain't the. She's mine. You see the difference? Wives, be, be, be an excellent wife to your husbands. The Proverbs have all sorts of things to say about women, about womanhood, what it means to be a lady 
after the heart of God. I encourage you to go to this pasture and spend some time there. I, I need to hurry. I have just a couple more subjects to get through. Two more. Friendship. I already talked about this a little bit. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 27. says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. It means that true friendship is put to the test when there is adversity. When there are things on the line that are difficult, things that are on the line where trials are at hand, that is when friendships are truly put to the test. You know, I've had some wonderful friendships in my life. And what I have found about all of them is no matter how contentious they might get, no matter how much there might be rocky times or when one of my friends will go through a difficult situation or, or they're troubled at home, they're troubled in their lives, troubled at work, whatever it might be, that there is a friendship that continues even in spite of that. I still have a friend who was my friend when I was growing up back in my old neighborhood. He lives in West Virginia now, but every now and then he'll come back to town or he'll call me up or text me. And man, all of a sudden it's like I'm right back to that place that I was in before. There's my friend. Doesn't matter what's going on in his life. Doesn't matter where he's at. That's my friend. Isn't that wonderful to have good, lasting friendships that you can depend on, that you can count on? That you can call them up no matter what time of night. And you can trust them. And you can depend upon them. Let me give you an example from yesterday. I was dropping my kids off at my parents' house. And phone rang. And it was Brother Gary. And I was just getting out of the car, getting Eleanor unbuckled. And it was not a time where, where I really stood to answer the phone. So I answered it having every intention of telling Brother Gary that, hey, can I call you back? But when I answered the phone, I heard his voice. And there was just a certain, certain element of his voice that, that wasn't right. I knew something wasn't the, the normal Gary Smith voice that I was expecting. And so it changed my mind entirely on what I said. I said, Brother Gary, is everything okay? Why? Because my friend, it was obvious to me just by his voice that there was something that was going on in his life that wasn't quite right. Any of you have friends that they call you up and you can just hear in their voice what's going on? You can just hear a, a decibel a little bit different, a, a, a sound of their voice, some, something is off note about how they're talking. Brother Gary said, well, actually no. The storm that came through this afternoon that knocked over trees and we just don't know what we're going to do. Can you give me Diane's numbers so that Sister Annette can get a hold of her to teach something? All those things that came about out of that conversation. I was fully ready to just say, brother, I don't have time. But you see the difference? There was adversity. That's happening in my life. Let me tell you this. I count all of you as my friends. I mean that. I will look each one of you in the eye and tell you that I count you as my friend. Brothers and sisters, we're born for adversity. We're designed as friends, as a, as a, as a body of God, as a body of the Lord Jesus Christ, as this local assembly of the saints. That when there's adversity amongst this body, more than any other bond of relationship that we have in life, that we should come running for one another. We're born for adversity. <clears throat> I talked about choosing our friends carefully. <clears throat> there's places in Scripture here in the book of Proverbs where it teaches that very thing. That we should choose our friends very carefully. And I know the challenge of that is that there are some of you here today and and you should go out sometime and read the surveys, read the, the studies that have been done that talk about loneliness, especially amongst a younger generation. And how many teenagers today are lonely? 
And I was talking to somebody at work the other day, and one of the things that blows my mind right now about young people is how many young people wait to drive. I mean, I got my license the very first day I could get my license. I was at the license branch at 9 a.m. ready to get them. And nowadays, kids will be like, I'll just get that sometime later. It's no big deal. Why? Because all the relationships are, are on devices, right? But the problem with that is that those relationships, they don't have the same true friendship nature to them as it does when you're interacting face-to-face with somebody. So loneliness is rampant amongst a younger generation. And older people, I know you look sometimes at the younger folks that are around us and you say, I just can't relate to them. I can't connect with them. If you only knew how lonely they are, it'd break your heart. So young people, in a time of rampant loneliness, I know you hear me saying to choose your friends carefully. And you're probably thinking, Derek, I would take any friend I could get. The proverb writer goes on in that very same verse where he says that you should choose your friends carefully. And he says, but there is one who sticks closer than a brother. And his name is Jesus Christ. And so no matter how lonely you are, no matter how, how much you lo- look at this subject of friendship and you say, Derek, it just, it just seems like this loneliness won't get away from me. Run to Jesus. He will fulfill you. You will find peace with Him. And He will be the closest friend that you will ever have. He will never let you down. He will be there for you every single time that you need Him. And you know what else He will do for you? He will bring good godly friends into your lives. I promise you that. He's done it for me. I have good godly friends in my life today that I did not have when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. Why? Because God Himself brought them into my lives. Into my life. I only have one life, not more than one. Hear me, young people. Find your friendships in the Lord. Find your spouse in the Lord. That is where you'll find the one in whom there is goodness and peace. It is a good thing to choose your friends carefully. The way of the wicked, it will destroy you. It will lead you astray. The New Testament says this, is that not to be deceived that bad company corrupts good morals. So strive to have good friends and to be a good friend. Last subject I want to look at today is parenting. And I'll, I'll try to hurry through this, but the book of Proverbs says a lot about parenting. I'll point out just one of the most uh, common Proverbs, Proverbs 22, 6, and then Proverbs 22 and 15. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. There is a wealth of instruction and parenting that is found in the book of Proverbs. If you're like me, the very first day that I found out that we were expecting and that Lila was going to board, all of a sudden I was looking for every ounce of instruction and advice that I could get on the subject of parenting. I had no idea what I was doing. I still don't. But when I look for instruction, I look for encouragement, I look for advice, I find it in two people, or two two sources I should say. The first is these scriptures right here. Read from the book of Proverbs. Go to that pasture. Spend time there. Go and read over the sixth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. Go and read the instructions that we found throughout the scriptures that teach us about parenting. But I want to point you to another resource as well. I didn't get to this earlier in friendship or in some of the other subjects. But another place here in the book of Proverbs, it says that in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. 
What's that mean? It means when you are looking for advice, you, you have a decision, you have something you need to do, you have an unruly child, you have a child that's gone astray, you, you have a child that, that's a strong-willed child that you just can't seem to, to be able to get through all those things of life where we have challenging situations. Go to good, godly men and women who can direct you and help you, offer you advice, offer you encouragement, to tell you what they have found to be successful. But don't just go to one. Go to many. Find out from different resources. Hey, this person did this, this person did that. Maybe some combination is what we're looking for here. There is safety in the multitude of counselors. Get good advice from your brothers and from your sisters. If you want to be a good parent, spend some time in the pasture of the Proverbs. We are to be children trainers, children growers, children teachers, children disciplers. When I was praying last week over our mothers, I prayed about us raising kingdom kids. The Proverbs teach us how to raise kids that are shaped and purposed for the kingdom of God. Let us be good parents. I want to close by looking at one other place of Scripture. Just two verses from the book of Ecclesiastes, and I'll try to close. I've been no telling how lengthy today. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, just two verses, verses 13 and 14. says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon, same one who wrote all those Proverbs we read. He says, let us hear the conclusion of all of it. Fear God. Keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. There is instruction for us for godly living. There is a pasture in which we can graze, where we can find the sustenance to to equip us and to uh, provide for us what we need to live life for God, God's way. And if you have any doubt about this, you have any question about this, I'll refer you back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, wherein we see that this wisdom that the book of Proverbs endeavors to teach us and to tell us about, it is defined, it is personified, it is ultimately found. Where? In Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. Faith Church, let us pasture, find pasture, find nurturing, in the book of Proverbs. And thank you for listening to me. May God bless you. Something on your hearts today. Something the Lord wants you to say or do.